Well, good morning. I'm Joel. It's good to be with you. And um, I tell you, as I, as I was growing up, I don't know about you guys. I was the guy who, um, when the pastor would get up and speak about certain things, and you need to know, my father was the pastor. Um, I would sometimes be like, oh, I would just glaze over. He'd be like, I want to walk through the tabernacle. And I'd glaze over. I want to tell you about all the aspects of it. And um, I remember my father loved the book of Revelation. He's like, let me tell you about all the symbols of Revelation. I'm like, Dad, why don't we go play basketball? He's like, okay, we'll play basketball. And as we play, I'll tell you about the symbols in Revelation. And he's such an amazing, godly man. And it was so cool. But I was just glaze over because I'm like, Dad, I'm seven. Let's go play basketball. And, um, but there's something that's probably, Pastor Nathan was probably in college for me, early college, where all of a sudden I started to recognize that the, the knowledge, the information of everything in Scripture is actually what led to transformation. Because too often today, what leads to our transformation are emotions. Like we hear a sad story or this person says this and we're like, oh, well, yeah, but this is who they are and this is what their heart says. And, and so then all of a sudden emotions lead to transformation rather than a knowledge of the word of God and who he is and what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ, leading to a transformation. You see the difference, yes? The difference in knowledge leading to transformation rather than just an emotion leading to transformation. And so my prayer is that today you would be able to gain a greater knowledge, a greater understanding of the Word of God and what He has done in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant so that it would lead to a transformation so that when you walk out of this place today, you are different. Every one of us. That there is an army walking out of this place today that we did not have before declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. Because we understand fully that knowledge can lead to pride, knowledge can lead to all types of things, but knowledge can also lead to transformation if we do it with humility, if we gain understanding and humility. So we're going to see a covenant today that transforms everything. Because you have the old covenant, the first covenant. We had that for roughly 1,400 years 1,400 years before the coming of Jesus. But even in the midst of having the old covenant, guess what they were already speaking about? The new covenant that was to come. So you had the old covenant 1,400 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, roughly, and now there are already prophets like Jeremiah saying words like this in Jeremiah chapter 31, where he says, Behold, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, not on stone tablets. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. I pray God is your God. And that today we will be transformed 
by him. That we would be transformed by him. So that's what we have today. That's what we get to do. We get to walk through the book uh, of Hebrews chapter 9. I invite you to turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 9 which tells us of the Old Covenant. It tells us some of the details about the tabernacle, but also what it does is it then tells us that there is a new covenant, and it tells us about that new covenant that we can have, that we can step into. It tells us about the tabernacle and its furnishings. It's going to tell us in the first five verses, just to help you out very quickly, because verses one through seven, I am going to go very, very quickly through. not going to miss any of the details, but I'm going to go quick. Uh, The first five verses tells us us about the furnishings of the tabernacle, why it's so important. Uh, Hebrews chapter nine, verse six and seven tells us about the, the, the service of the priest and what they did to maintain the tabernacle and all that that involved for them. So this is what I want to do. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to start with just reading the first five verses. So will you stand for the reading of the word of God? And before we even do that, this will help you. Go ahead and stand. You can do that part. But I want to show you a picture of the tabernacle because as I read, you're going to have a better understanding. This is what the tabernacle would have looked like. All right, and this is proportionate in size, everything else. But let's go ahead. Can we go ahead and jump to the diagram as well so that you can then look in the tent. This is, you would see this tent there, um, and inside you would have a table uh, of showbread. You've got the lampstand. You've got the altar of incense, and then inside of a curtain, you have the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to get into some of those things because they do matter. This knowledge today is going to lead to a transformation because of the understanding of a new covenant through Jesus Christ. So don't glaze over. Everybody say, I will not glaze over. (laughs) That just, that means if anybody starts to glaze over right beside you, pinch them, poke them, whatever you got to do. Everybody good with that? I'm great. I don't have anybody beside me. And if I glaze over, we're all in trouble. So Hebrews chapter 9, reading of the word of God, verse 1. As I read this, you're going to be able to envision it now. It says, now even the first covenant had regulations. First covenant being the old covenant. Even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. You had the holy of holies, everything else. For a tent was prepared. It's the first section. In which were the lampstand, the table, and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. So you enter into the tent, you have the holy place. But then you have inside the tent, inside that place, the holy of holies, okay? So behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Holy of holies is how we would refer to it. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold and which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now, we cannot know or now speak in detail. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So you've already heard about it. Let's go back to this diagram once again. So I want you to be able to see what it consisted of um, because I am going to go so quickly. So I have to try to unpack this. We're going to look at this diagram once again of the tabernacle and everything that was happening there. Okay, so ready? Um, one, two, three. Okay, let's do it together. Okay, so I'm going to move on. And what we had, can we not do that? No? 
Okay, we don't know what's happening back there. Um, so you already saw it before anyway. And so what we're going to look at is just go ahead and go to the lampstand. I want you to see a picture of the lampstand. Oh, now then they just had it. <laughs> it's that day. Like I walked outside and I saw the temperature minus 412. And I was like, oh my goodness. Um, there it is for us. Um, you have this, they entered into that tent. You had the altar of burnt offerings. And, and, and then what you would have a place of washing. And then they would enter in and you had this lampstand. And so I, I need you to picture this. Everybody take a snapshot with your brain. You got it? Click. Right? And then now I want to show you an actual lampstand, a replica of it, and what it would have looked like for us. Um, there it is. A, a stem coming right up the middle with an additional six stems on or six branches on it made of gold it provided the only light for the tabernacle we would we learn about this in exodus chapter 25 verses 31 through 40 all right so that would provide the only light remember uh, if you go through the book of john he is the light of the so yet this was providing the only light for them to be able to see because all of this represented and was, it was God's presence within them. And it was in the middle of everywhere they went. Remember, they escaped out of captivity um, under Pharaoh. They were there for roughly 400 years, but then they um, were in the wilderness for how many years? 40. And this represented God's presence with them. God set them free out of captivity. This represented God's presence and this represented God's light with this lampstand. There was also a table made out of, of acacia wood covered with gold, three feet long, and it had the showbread on it. And this is important because that it had 12 different loaves representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So all the different people groups. That was there for them as well. It was a holy place that was there once you walked into the tent. You had an altar of incense. Uh, this they would keep lit and it would offer these fr uh, pleasant fragrances that would go up to God that would symbolize their worship and their praise basically of God and all that they would do that would be hopefully a pleasant aroma to God as they were offering all that they had to him. So they had an altar of incense, altar for sacrifices. We also know that they had behind a thick curtain. This is why Jesus' death, remember there's a thick curtain that tore in two in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, it's symbolic of what happened here. They had a thick curtain that was also called, uh, we would refer to it as a throne room of God, um, but they had the Ark of the Covenant. I want to show you a picture of a replica of what the Ark of the Covenant would be. Nobody could touch the Ark of the Covenant, so it had the golden post on each side that they would carry. And inside that Ark of the Covenant, what would they have? Well, they had manna. They had Aaron's rod. You're going to see what they would have there on the far right side is the manna that they had inside of the Ark of the Covenant. The re manna represented what? God's provisions. God always provided. Every day he would give them manna on the sixth day because nothing would happen on the seventh day. He'd give them enough for the sixth and the seventh day. And they'd start over at the beginning of the week once again. And so there's the manna. You got Aaron's bu uh, uh, the buds there with Aaron's rod. And then you also had the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, inside the Ark of the Covenant, excuse me, you had the tablets with the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. And so it contained all of this. And again, this symbolized God's presence amongst them. Now again, don't glaze over here. This is going to matter. This is about God's presence amongst the people. The manna, again, reminding them of God's provisions. Aaron Rod reminding them of, God, of their own rebellion against God. But then you had the Ten Commandments with the Tablets of the Covenant. Really reminding them of their failure to keep it. I just read 
from Jeremiah earlier that they couldn't keep it. There is a mercy seat with an ornate lid for the Ark of the Covenant with designs of the cherubim. The blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled upon it for the forgiveness of Israel's sins. And all of this, all of this matters because this is what it's going to do. Hopefully by the end of today, you're going to recognize that this stuff matters so much because it shows and gives a, di- a direct tie to understanding our relationship and our fellowship with God. There is a beauty to what they had in the Old Covenant that we don't have anymore. You know what? So I already told you. They had this tent in the middle of their entire group. Wherever they were, they were in the wilderness, they would move this around with them. And it was a continual reminder of who they were with and without God. We, a lot of times we don't have that anymore. We don't have that continual reminder of who we, who we are without God. But this reminded them of God's presence. And that had to be cared for. That's what verse 6 and 7 does. In verse 6 and 7, it says the following. It says, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section. So every day they would go into that first section of the tent. And that's where like the altar of incense was, right? They would go into that every single day and they would maintain that and manage that. It tells us verse 6. Performing their ritual duties. They had rituals that were very, very important to them. But into the second, meaning behind that thick curtain, into the Holy of Holies, into the throne room of God, they only went once a year. It's also referred to as the Day of Atonement. And they would take blood with them and it would pay for the sins of even those sins that they, didn't, that they were unaware that they had in their own life. But once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself for the unintentional sins the sins that they were unaware of, of the people. So here are the priests doing their duties and performing their rituals, making sure that they did everything that God had instructed for them. And then it tells us, so that's verse one through seven. It helps us on, here's everything they have. They're making sure that they maintain everything. And this is going to be a picture of God wanting through our knowledge to transform our lives. Because then it, it speaks in to more of what it really means to us. Verse eight and following. Hebrews chapter nine, verse eight and following. Ready? It says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. Now look at it. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The Holy Spirit is indicating that the way into the holiest of holies is not yet open. The way into the presence, the full presence of God is not yet open while the first tabernacle is still standing. In which the, high, the, the priest would go in once a year, day of atonement, and make a blood offering for the people. The old had to pass away before God's new way could be revealed. And so here's this old sacrifice, this old covenant. The, the old sacrifice couldn't lead. Simplest way I can tell you about it. 
The old sacrifice couldn't lead to the inner transformation needed by all. Remember, written on stone tablets rather than written on the, the heart of the people. It could not lead to the inner transformation that was really needed. The old covenant was directed toward the external, while the new covenant is directed toward the heart. And now as a result, when this is what you start to recognize. So they had all of this representing fellowship with God. And now fellowship with, fellowship with God could be realized in a powerful new way. And this is the disconnect for many people. This is the disconnect for many people because we often live in ritual. Did you know that what we're doing today, you got up on the blustery morning. You all got dressed and you came to worship. Yes, in the middle of this sermon, if you're already up by, say, 7, 7.30 because you're a natural early riser, I would like to invite you to come to the earlier service. Thank you. I'm just going to throw that out there real quick because we had people leave again today in this service. And we all know that what that does to my heart. Those, that's for all you transform followers of Jesus who are already up early anyway. But this is crucial because what we recognize is when we came to worship today, this, just coming to worship, is a ritual for us. It's what we do. Anything you do in a repeated pattern is a ritual. We do it to be reminded of certain things. So they had the tent in front of them. They had this old covenant, this way of doing things. The priest would go into uh, every day to make sure the altar of incense and other things were maintained. But once a year, the, the priest would go into that inner courtyard, that inner holy of holies, that throne room of God, and go in there to pay atonement of sins that they didn't, weren't even aware of. And they had a ritual that they would continually do. But all of this Actually, these rituals were supposed to lead to a greater fellowship with God. So if you came here today simply to worship and you don't walk out of this place with a better understanding and a greater fellowship with God and a greater relationship with God, this is really for naught. This is really just a ritual that you're going about. You're stepping into and you're like, oh yeah, that's cool, okay, and then you're out again. This is to take us, what we do with worship, the way we pray, the way that we are very purposeful of our songs and everything that we're doing, the way that we're purposeful about the preaching of the word of God. Like I got one friend, he's like, my pastor preaches every week somewhere between 8 and 12 minutes and that's it that ain't happening here my friends amen I like one person over here that's about all I had it ain't happening everybody say it ain't happening bunch of slang using people I, I'm, 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 I, we, we're gonna it's very purposeful because everything that we're doing here in preaching the word of God and in our singing and in our prayers is to help us to enter into a greater fellowship with God. If it's not helping us go into a greater fellowship with God, it's just a ritual that we're performing. That's all that it is. And it doesn't matter. So they were doing this on a daily basis, at least the priests, they saw this, it was always being reminded, their relationship with God right in front of them in the middle of everybody. And the Holy Spirit is stepping in and saying, wait, I want you to have a greater fellowship with God. And the beauty of even having this in front of the people every day with the Old Covenant is it did remind them. Sometimes we're not reminded of who we are. You need to know who you are without God and who you are with God. 
Without God, you're nothing but a sinner. It is what it is. It's, it's the reality of it. We're all broken. We're all messed up. But with God, we have freedom and grace and mercy. And they were being reminded of this. They were always reminded of this because it was right in front of them. It's the same reason. There's two words to summarize what the Lord's Supper means to us. We take Lord's Supper about once a month here at Chapel Point, And we are reminded of two things. We remember what Christ has done for us in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So in, and in remembering, we celebrate. In remembering, we celebrate. Well, in remembering who we are without God and then knowing who we now are in Christ, we now celebrate in a greater way. And they're speaking about this old covenant and talking about the tabernacle and all that it symbolized, and it was good. But even Jeremiah, as I started off, said, no, there's a new covenant to come. And they just kept waiting for centuries for the new covenant to come. And now in Hebrews chapter 9, it speaks about the new covenant that is there in verse 11 through 14. So I know we're already partway through the sermon. All that was just intro. How about that? Now I get into even more. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and following. I know we all like our daily exercise, yes? So let's stand together again for the reading of the word of God. And we all like our exercise, Yes. So I'm going to read the top line. Second line, you sit down. Third line, you stand back up. Fourth line, I... No, don't. It's a distraction. Don't do it. I'll even let you fill in some blanks, all right? Here we go. But when Christ appeared as a priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of who through the eternal offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living? It's the word of God. You may be seated. I don't know if we can do this. I keep asking and I keep being told no in some ways. Can we go back to that passage? I want you to look at it as I talk through some of it, as I speak through some of this, because it's going to help you, okay? I know some of you don't have this right in front of you, and maybe it's not, you don't have a phone or anything with it on there, but you, I want you to walk through it here. Um, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater, that's why this book is often about Christ being the greater. We've named it perfect, right? And the more perfect tent, there's another place where the word perfect is. It's the name of the series that we're preaching through. Jesus is here ministering in a superior sanctuary. That's what you're going to discover. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. He entered into a superior sanctuary, the throne room of God, a place human hands cannot construct. And this is all about the superior sacrifice of the new covenant. The blood of goats that were sacrificed in the, uh, in the old covenant, the blood of goats, the blood of calves that were sacrificed, sacrificed in the old covenant were temporary. So they constantly had to do it again. Right? Over and over. They had to do it again. 
And most things in our life today are temporary. Your job is temporary. This job that I have right now is temporary. My house is temporary. Many relationships, right? Uh, All of these different things are temporary. There's only one perfect sacrifice that could obtain eternal redemption. Please say eternal redemption. And that was Jesus' sacrifice. Human hands cannot accomplish the true need of humanity. Your works, another way of thinking about it, your works cannot accomplish your true need. Your hands cannot accomplish your true need. Your hands cannot accomplish your true need. It ain't happening. It's not going to happen. Friends, it's not. And so knowing that they had to continually come back all the time, over and over again, no longer had to take place. With his own blood, Jesus Christ entered the most holy of holy places once for all. Say once for all. That's such a powerful one. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, but by his own blood. The priest would go in and now the great high priest It speaks to the great high priest as well. Now the great high priest is stepping in and saying, you know what? Once a year they are going for the day of atonement. I am now stepping in once for all with not the blood of calves and of goats, but with my blood. And I'm paying a price that no longer has to be done ever again because this is without blemish. This is without fault. This is without anything. I am the perfect lamb of God. That's what it's referring to. At the tabernacle, the sacrifice is being made at the altar by the atoning blood. And it's the blood of Christ. It's remarkable to be able to see that Jesus is ministering. This is why I want the transference today. I want the transference of your knowledge of going, okay, yeah, I saw the, I saw the Ark of the Covenant. I know what was in there. Um, and you've got the rod and you've got the tablets and that's cool. And you've got the manna reminding them that God provided for them, all these different things. But what I want you to do is I want you to step out of ritual and I want you to step into a greater fellowship by recognizing what Jesus Christ actually accomplished for us. This is crucial because this is when I know in my own life everything started to change for me. It wasn't just about knowledge. It's when knowledge can turn into a transformation. Again, not the emotions because that's what we get called up, to, called up into. And sometimes we just allow certain emotions to dictate our, our response and how we're moving. No, when you truly understand what Christ did in this manner and the new covenant, then that leads to transformation. And you know that human hands cannot accomplish your greatest need. And so here, in Hebrews chapter 9, here's the old tabernacle, here's the tabernacle, here's the old covenant. This is what it symbolizes. This is how the priestly kept their services. And now there's a new covenant, and Jesus was a substitution for all of that. So no longer will it just be a ritual. It will be you stepping into fellowship with the almighty God. So again, if you're here just to come and to hang out for a bit, get a cup of coffee, and you're going to take all, get in your car and take off, go do your regular thing, that's a ritual. But today, right now, I'm asking if you are stepping into fellowship with God. 
Are you stepping into fellowship with God by understanding what this means? That here's, I told you, you need to remember who you are with God and without God. This will remind you of both, beginning with who you are without God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25, and this is the New Living, it says, For everyone has sinned. We typically would read it and it says, For everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what this says. It says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We've all sinned, fallen short of God's glorious standard. But then, next verse, yet God in his grace, everybody say grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times of past I mean, so clear to what we see here in this passage. It's beautiful to recognize because he continues on. He says, he shall remember our sins no more. He, shall, he just continues on it. And when we look at this, we go, man, something that they used to have to pay for all the time through ritual and through good deed has now been paid for completely for eternity. Even those in the past, you're like, well, people ask me, what well, about those who were before Christ? It says the blood of Christ covered the sin. Just said it. Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus Christ covers that sin. How about all the sins in the future? They're dedicated, they're offered up to him and say, God, I trust you, forgive me. It's covered. It's not the normal blood of a bull or a lamb or anything else because his, his blood is perfect. It doesn't have to be redone over and over because of what Christ has done and being the perfect lamb of God. We already know that at the time of Christ, even him being born in Bethlehem, well, guess where they would raise these lambs as best they could to be slaughtered? In Bethlehem. And now the perfect lamb of God was being born them himself, now being sacrificed. So no longer do we have to make those sacrifices for God himself sacrificed his son. So don't let this be a ritual. Let this draw you into a fellowship with God that is deeper and richer than you've ever known. Because there's no more punishment for the believer. And if the, you think about the blood of bulls and goats. Guys, livestock was the primary symbol of influence and wealth during that period of time. So when they're sacrificing the very best animal they had, they're taking the very thing that's worth the most to them, the very thing that may be able to provide them livelihood and even food in the future, and they're sacrificing that. And you can imagine families saying, okay, this is all we have. And they're taking it and they're providing a sacrifice and they're slicing the jugular and all the blood is being poured out at the altar. And they're saying, this is payment of my misdoing. This is payment of my sin. 
So now transfer that to God who knew what he would do. But man, even though God knew what he had to do and the prophets foretold of it in Jeremiah and everywhere else of what would happen in a new covenant, think of God Almighty saying, okay, it's the time has come. No more bulls. No more goats. Are to be sacrificed. The time has come. And God looks at his son and says, you're up. Like, once and for all, my son's blood. Once and for all. You don't have to keep doing it this way. So you imagine the family looking in and they're, they're, that's the only bull we have and you're dead, mom, you're sacrificing this. And they're going, we have to because of our sin and our misdoing. But now with Christ, it is finished. That's where the knowledge turns into a transformation because you recognize who you are without God and you, now you recognize who you are with God. And it changes the way you process this entire passage. Even in the last verse in verse 14 where it says, how much more would the blood of Christ, if the blood of goats and the bulls, if they sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ do? Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. He was perfect. How much more will he purify our conscience from dead works, knowing that you can't do enough, and so now finally he's going to pay the full price? Why? So that we get to serve the living God. So that we can serve the living God. We get to live in the freedom from dead works of trying to earn it, of trying to make sure we can be a good enough person I can just be nice enough and we get to live in the freedom from dead works to serve the living God. And because of Jesus, the believer is cleansed. Because of Jesus, conscience and everything, we, we are cleansed. Because of Jesus, we get to live not for self but for the living God. So it tells us in John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Another way of saying it is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. It wasn't out in the middle of the people in a physical form where they had to keep certain rituals in order to be, uh, to be able to have purification and sanctification and a cleansing from their wrongdoing. Now, all of a sudden, God pitched his tent amongst us on a permanent basis through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. This is not ritual. What we're doing here today is a response to what Christ has already done for us. And so if it doesn't move you, if it doesn't cause you to go, I need to live in greater faithfulness, if it doesn't cause you to go, I want to be living in greater obedience to the Almighty God, you simply don't get what he paid for you. 
The word became flesh. He pitched his tent amongst us so that we can see his glory that is full of grace and truth. Christ has come near. And so we don't step into a ritual. We're stepping in to a response. Of declaring that all that we need has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that inner throne room of God that you could never enter into, Jesus took care of it once and for all. Will you step into a greater fellowship with God? Do not leave this place the same because your, your heart's just where it is and this is, no, let them have all of it. Let them have all of it. Like when pa Pastor Nathan's over here and he's gonna lead us in a, a song and worship, this is not a ritual. What he's doing, what we're doing together collectively as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a response to God for what he's done by finishing everything that we've, we've ever needed. It is finished. Will you stand with me for prayer? God, I come before you. I give you thanks and I worship you. May we today allow the knowledge of what you have done transfer to a transformation that is beyond anything we've ever known. Thank you for dwelling amongst us. May we truly, fully fully celebrate who you are. Please, God. As we worship you, not out of a, a ritual, but a response to the King of Kings. Amen.